going to have two more quotes from Frederick Buechner for you this morning. Here's the next one. With parables and jokes, if you have to have them explained, don't bother. Now, that says more about who's listening to the parable or to the joke than the teller. But I think it's important when hearing stories from the Bible, we need to understand context. For example, one of the parables tells of a rich man wearing purple cloth. Now, you might think, odd detail, out of all the things you might mention, you, clu- you choose the color of his clothing. But the one thing is, purple cloth was exceedingly rare and difficult to make, and therefore very expensive. It was the cloth of kings because one pound of purple wool would have cost more than a year's wages. One pound of cloth, more than a year's wages. So if you know that piece of background and you hear purple cloth, all of a sudden it has impact. Your ears perk up. So this morning, it's important to understand the context of the parable. Now, last week, Jesus was surrounded by tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees had some things to say about that. But this week, Jesus is actually among the Pharisees, and we know that because the first chapter, verse 14, says this. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to share a meal in the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees, they were watching him closely. So that's the scene. A bunch of suspicious Pharisees entertaining Jesus at dinner. And Jesus, having watched how everyone came into the room and jockeyed for position to grab the best seat, tells the guests that when they receive an invitation, they should choose to sit in the seat of least importance. Because all who lift themselves up will be made low, and all who make themselves low will be lifted up. And then Jesus turns to the host and tells him, basically, you've invited the wrong people to dinner. You should have invited those who couldn't repay your kindness, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, for in return, you would have been blessed. So you can imagine the scene is pretty tense at this point. And then one of the guests says this out loud in verse 15. When one of the guests heard Jesus' remarks, he said to Jesus, Happy are those who will feast in God's kingdom. Feast in God's kingdom. Now, was this guest filling the awkward silence? It had gotten too tense in the room. But talk about regretting being the guy who says something and then gets a sermon in reply. Now, this parable is known as the Great Banquet, and the Luke version has some distinct differences from a similar passage in Matthew where the occasion is a wedding. I'm going to grab my Bible and read you the story of the Great Banquet. And Jesus replied, A certain man hosted a large dinner and invited many people. When it was time for the dinner to begin, he sent his servants to tell the invited guest, Come, the dinner is now ready. One by one, they all began to make excuses. The first one told him, I bought a farm and must go and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I bought five teams of oxen and I'm going to check on them. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. When he returned, 
The servant re reported these excuses to his master. The master of the house became angry and said to his servants, Go quickly to the city streets, the busy ones and the side streets, and bring the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. The servant said, Master, your instructions have been followed, and there's still room. The master said to the servant, Then go to the highways and back alleys and urge people to come in so that my house will be filled. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will taste my dinner. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Several years ago, I planned a tour to Greece for the Chancel Choir. I think it ended up being a group of about 48 people. Now, there were a lot of memorable meals on that trip. There was that table right up next to the water on the island of Mykonos, or on a rooftop looking out at the Acropolis in Athens, or on a mountainside in Delphi looking out across the valley to the sea. Now, some background information, though, you need to know about the trip. Now, my tour agent in the U.S. was in Nashville, but she was working for a company in Phoenix, Arizona. And the company in Phoenix, Arizona was using a travel agency in London to communicate with the folks in Greece. So every single conversation took about five turns before we got to know what we really needed to know. And part of the problem was the folks in Greece were just not too worried about things. So when we'd ask for some details, it would take so long to get it that eventually our, my tour agent just said, you know, you may need to wait till you get there. Now one of the things I wanted to know was where we were going to eat on the last night of the trip, our end of the tour banquet. What kind of food were we going to have? What kind of setting was it going to be? So as soon as we landed and we met our tour guide in Athens, that was one of the first questions I asked her. And she says, you know, I don't know, but it will be great. And on the night of the banquet, the last night, and I still didn't know where we were going to eat, our tour guide finally told me where we were going. It was called Archeon Gefsis in English. It's ancient tastes. They only serve food that people would have eaten during the classical age of Greece. 500 to 300 BC, or around 2,400 years ago. So no tomatoes, no potatoes, no peppers, no lemons, or eggplant, or rice, no sugar. No moussaka, no pastizio, no Greek salads. And I have to admit, I started to sweat just a little bit as we walked down this very nondescript, very urban-looking part of Athens. What kind of place was this going to be? Can you imagine if in that moment I said to our tour guide, you know what, I appreciate the effort, but we've got to get up so early in the morning for our flight home, and I've still got to pack. The food sounds a little weird. My choir has had enough togetherness this week. We've, we've had too much Greek food. Just take us to a food court at the mall, and we'll all grab a quick bite and head back to the hotel. There's a banquet waiting. And it's going to be great. If you will, imagine yourself walking down a dark alley some 2,000 years ago in Palestine. Near a wealthy man's home, there's an outer wall with a large protected courtyard. 
And as you get closer, you can hear sounds of gladness. Sounds of gladness, music, wine goblets clinking together, laughter floating through the air, but not seeing, only hearing. Would you be prepared for the scene you are about to witness when you do get up to the entrance to the courtyard? For you see, the intended guests, the first ones invited, had been given the courtesy of a save the date, an invitation before the invitation. They had plenty of time to rearrange their schedules so that they could make this big event a priority. And on the actual day of the banquet, a servant had come around again to let everyone know that the party day had arrived and that they could start making their way, that dinner was served. But what happened next? It couldn't have been an accident. Too many lame excuses. I have new land to see. Who buys land without seeing it first? I need to test drive my oxen. I am too recently married. Jesus must have had the Pharisees laughing or at least smiling at these ridiculous examples. No, there's no way that out of everyone invited, not a single person planned to attend. Not a single person had a valid reason for not coming. It had to be a snub. There must have been an intentional, coordinated effort to avoid this party, this dinner, this table. And the host was rightly furious. All this planning, all this expense, all this food, it can't go to waste. I'm going to let you in on a little secret this morning. Normally, I might make you wait until later in the sermon to know the big reveal, but I'm going to let you know it right away so that we can let it ruminate this morning. It's the answer to the question, who is included? Who is welcome in God's kingdom? And here's the answer. Those who respond to the invitation. Those who show up and participate. If we miss out, it's our own fault. Here's another Frederick Buechner quote. If you want to know who you are, watch your feet. Because where your feet take you, that is who you are. Have you been invited to someone's house before and the host says something like, hey, we're having some people over for dinner on Saturday. Want to come? And if you're like me, the first question you want to ask before, what can I bring or what time should I be there is, who all's invited? Which is code for, what kind of night am I in for? Who am I going to have to talk to? How many people are going to be there? Do I know these people? Do I like them? Because, let's be honest, most of the time it's not about the food, it's about the company. Because we know there's a cost of accepting an invitation. We might be obligated to bring a gift. We know it takes our time, our presence. We might be expected to, to offer appropriate manners. Or maybe we need to wear a certain type of clothing. And at the very least, we're expected to offer our sparkling personalities. Think back to the man at the Pharisee's table in our scripture reading who said, the greatest blessing of all is to be at the banquet in God's kingdom. That simple, seemingly harmless statement must have been some kind of trigger in Jesus' ears in order to prompt this parable. 
A parable that, don't forget, ends with the words, not one of those guests I first invited will get even a bite of my food. I think this comment set Jesus off because he knew the man didn't understand what it meant to accept the invitation, didn't understand the cost. This may be getting into the weeds here, but it's fun to think about. Why didn't the first guests invited in the parable respond? Did they not like the host? Did they not like the other guests? It's pretty easy in this parable to figure out who God is. Excuse me, who the host is. It's God. And if this parable is directed to the Pharisees, is Jesus saying that they've rejected God, these keepers of the law, these religious leaders, or is he just telling them they've missed the point? Whatever the reason was for those originally invited to decide not to come to the banquet, their refusal has set the wheels in motion for a radical change in the original guest list. The blind, the lame, you know the list. But sir, says the servant, I've invited them all and there's still room for more. Well, then leave the city, says the host. Go out through the gate into the highways and the byways and bring them in. The rich, the poor, the other. Don't just look within, look beyond. Now, Matthew's version of this parable is different than Luke's because scholars mostly agree that Matthew is writing to the Jews. Now, Luke was Greek, and he's writing to the Greeks. So accordingly, his focus is on who else might be invited to the great banquet, that the invitation extends beyond God's chosen people. Here's what I think Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. You are not the ones who get to decide who's invited to the party. You are not the hosts. You are just one of many invited. It's the host that gets to decide who's invited, not the invitee. But if we don't like the guest list, we can always exclude ourselves. But by not participating, by not responding to the invitation, what do we miss out on? The banquet, the meal, this party, it's a party, is a symbol of the kingdom of God. It's as if God is saying, my plan was for a great banquet, but you turned it into something else. My hope was this, but things didn't go according to plan because you didn't respond to my invitation. So here's what we're going to do instead. We're going to fling open the gates and let the ones that you've chosen to exclude to join the party. I don't know about you, but I find great joy in this realization that God is willing to change up the guest list. Right now, it's easy to imagine plans being changed, isn't it? We know what that means. So much of what we do here at church requires planning. The youth choir tour, vacation Bible school, planning and people and resources. And over these past few months, I've gotten so tired of making plans that had to be changed, of making promises that in some instances I had to break the very next day. So I'm trying to learn how to live in this new moment, to accept opportunities as they come. Sure, to still imagine possibilities, but not get so bothered or disappointed when things don't work out the way I thought I had it all figured out. 
I attended a virtual retreat this week. Those words seem awkward next to each other, virtual and retreat. I was supposed to be in Macon, Georgia at Mercer University attending it in person. But instead, for three, de- for three days this week, I joined online on Zoom a couple hours at a time. The event was called Interlude, and it's an invitation-only event for church musicians at no cost to those invited. Free food, free room, free board, free registration. The purpose of Interlude is to give those who work in church music a chance for spiritual renewal, a chance for those who plan worship to have the chance to worship, and an intentional opportunity to reimagine what the remaining years of our careers in music, music ministry might look like. So while the event did not go as planned, I still got to get a taste of what I would have if I had gotten to attend the three days as originally planned. One of the leaders challenged us with these words. In the midst of everything going on right now, look for signs of hope. When things are destroyed, look at what remains. When everything around has changed beyond recognition, look at what is still present. We know what is still present. And what ha- popped into my head that moment was a song I, I had heard the youth choir sing over the years called, We Believe in God. We believe in God and we all need Jesus because life is hard and it might not get easier. Sing to me now words that are true so all in this place can know it. We believe in God and we all need Jesus. We believe in God and we all need Jesus. Life is hard and it might not get easier. Where's the hope in that? We all have something on the inside, on the outside that makes life difficult. Bad days, bad weeks, bad years. But why would we want to make things harder than they need to be? Why would we not want to open the gates to our heart and admit we need Jesus? This Jesus right here telling us who's welcome at the great banquet. Are we letting Jesus work in and through our lives? Do we even want Jesus? Have we listened to what he's saying? Or have we ignored the invitation? Have we excluded ourselves? If you heard Wade's sermon last week, the scripture he read from comes from this very next chapter in Luke after the parable. Do you remember the scene that leads into the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin? There are people gathered around Jesus, and the Pharisees are grumbling. This man welcomes tax collectors and sinners and eats with them. They make it sound like it's bad. This man welcomes tax collectors and sinners, and he eats with them. Word was out. This man was different from everyone else. So should we be surprised that in the next chapter after the parable of the great banquet, where Jesus tells the religious elite that everyone is welcome, that Jesus finds himself surrounded by tax collectors and sinners? Imagine being told your whole life that you are less than, that there are some places that you are not welcome, and then suddenly someone comes along to say, that is not true. Maybe society has told you you're not welcome, but in God's kingdom, the rules are different. 
wouldn't you seek that person out? Wouldn't you want to be as close to that person as possible and in turn to learn more about the God in which he speaks? We gain entry into the kingdom of God by accepting an invitation that comes not as an annoying obligation, but as a welcome blessing because we're hungry for something. There's still room. There's an urgency. We've got all this food that's going to go to waste if we don't get more at the table. The kingdom of God, though, is more than a meal. It's a banquet, a great banquet. There's a pastor in Asheville, North Carolina, by the name of Brian Combs. He started a new United Methodist Church a few years ago called Haywood Street Community Church. And each week they live out this parable of the great banquet. Every Wednesday, the church feeds over 400 guests from the community at what they call the welcome table. Sitting at round tables with real tablecloths and flower arrangements and fine china, the people that walk in the door, many of them homeless, are served a family-style meal from one of 24 of the very best restaurants in the Asheville area who all take their turn twice a year in providing a free meal for the city's most vulnerable. And there's no catch, no cost, no requirements. You just show up to the invitation, and you're fed a meal. Unless, unless you want to serve, to help serve the guest. You can imagine an event like this requires dozens of people helping. But in order to serve, you must first sit at the table with all the other invited guests and have a meal. Because until you see yourself as one of the invited, you're not ready to serve. From the street, it didn't look like much, just a gray concrete building and a long line of other gray concrete buildings. Mr. Papadakis was our host, and he met us at the front door. He immediately made me feel like a VIP, greeting me and giving me gifts, jars of honey and bags of pistachios that had been produced and grown on his family's island in Greece. You quickly learn that everyone who lives and works in Athens is eager to tell you that they're from somewhere else, not Athens. We were escorted through the front gate of the restaurant, and I was truly surprised at what I saw. We were welcomed into a beautiful courtyard with stone walls and giant clay pots artfully placed around the space. And along every wall were staircases heading up to balconies made out of dark wood beams covered with orange tile roofs. And the whole courtyard was shaded by palm trees coming out of the ground. And there in the middle of the courtyard was a big long table set up for our group with 48 place settings. Handmade glazed terracotta plates and bowls and cups. Now I failed to mention that it was a Sunday and the restaurant was closed to the public. They had opened just for us. We had this whole beautiful scene to ourselves. No one ever handed us a menu. We just sat down, and the servers started bringing out platters of food, nuts and cheeses, fruits and vegetables, yogurt and honey, pitchers of wine, 
and as I remember it, whole roasted baby goats for each end of the table. And we ate, and we laughed, and we thanked our host for this totally unexpected evening ending to our trip. And the tour guide was right. It was great. Who is included? Who is welcome in God's kingdom? Those who respond. There's plenty of room, and if you're not at the banquet, it's because you have failed to respond. Everyone is invited. You don't get to decide who's included. You can only exclude yourself. So where are your feet taking you? Amen. Each week we pass the peace with one another at this point in the service, and even though we don't get up and mill around the service, we can turn and nod to one another. But I want to ask you to do something this morning. I have a feeling you know somebody in your life who needs to be invited to this table, who needs to know that Christ's peace is present and available for them too. So I hope you'll take out your phones if you have them. Text that person if you're at home. I hope you'll think about those people that need to know that Christ is present and available for them, that they are invited to this table. Will you do that?